Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Signing day is coming past, and we break down two college football quarterback prospects all on this episode of Prospects 101. Again, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, NFL prospects, and of course, those prospects going into the NFL draft. And as always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partner and supporter of the show, Blue Wire Pods. It would not be possible without them. Always joined by my co-host, Kenny Keller. Kenny, we are getting into the thick of NFL draft preparation time. It's time, man. We're The NFL draft season has begun. I know if anybody listened to our our senior bowl fo- our senior bowl preview and follow up you know the road to the NFL draft has begun i am excited this is what this show lives for we do love college football but we always 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 gear it towards prospects in the NFL draft so i'm i'm really pumped dude yeah so before you know i wanted to let all the listeners know to be on the lookout for the next 3 or 4 episodes we're going to do a series and break down the quarterbacks of this draft class. It's a very special draft class when it comes to quarterbacks, potential five. Some even think maybe six could go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot to like about a lot of these guys. So what we're going to do is to, for the next three or four shows, I'm going to take a quarterback, and Kenny is going to take a quarterback. We're going to break down size, uh, overall review, pros and cons, pro comps, and then just discuss that quarterback at length and what we like about him, what we don't like about him, and then where we ultimately see him falling at the pros. But before that, I want to do cover some top news because yesterday was National Signing Day. It's the not the early one, but the old school when everybody would sign. But there was still some movement yesterday. Uh, a couple things to note. Uh, Ole Miss got a huge offensive lineman out of New Jersey who announced yesterday. The rich get richer. Alabama signs a top 10 safety. They actually have two top 10 safeties in their class. Uh, some other notable signings. Michigan got a big linebacker as well who is in the top 100. So good to see some movement there. Again, not a whole lot. Um, the big fish that is still out there is JT Tiamalu. Uh, out of Sammamish, Washington, his top five sits at uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Oregon, USC, and the University of Washington says he wants to take all of his visits before he visits, makes yeah. a, yep before he makes a decision, and that's really easy because the only ones he has to visit is Ohio State, uh, and he went to Alabama for a uh, I think a junior day. So I think he just wants to go see Ohio State and ultimately make a final decision there. Actually, Kenny, they don't plan on him making a decision until about April. 
That's what I was reading. Yeah, it's not going to be anytime soon. So we're, we won't hear. I mean, basically, right around when the NFL draft starts is probably when he's going to be making his decision. Yeah, which is which is surprising because I believe I don't understand why he can't get out to Ohio State. I think Ohio State is like aren't that state's not closed down. Like it's open now. Like I'm surprised he's he's he can't get a visit out there for that long. Yeah, I'm not sure what the rules are. I'm sure it's an NCAA rule. Uh, Probably true. not a state rule, right? I think it's a global dead period where you can't go on campus anywhere. So that's true. It'll be interesting, but what that tells you is that he, that Ohio State and Alabama are more than likely the two, probably the top two, top three. Um, and then I would anticipate he has a West Coast school probably to round that top three out would be my guess. So still a big fish out there. Um, other big news. And maybe the biggest news of the entire week, NCAA college football by EA Sports is coming back. Kenny, I'm not a video game guy. I may go out and, and buy a PS5 or a, a, an Xbox just so I go play the game. Dude, you and me both. Like, I, I don't really play video games, but the one video game I played growing up, and I think we all played growing up, was was NCAA college football. I mean, I, so pumped to hear this news. I'm so excited. I, and, Gless, you, you were – you were you were there. I think you were in a, a work meeting, but you saw how me, you, and your brother were playing NCAA football uh, down in South Carolina, and how crazy we were going just playing NCAA 13 on the 360. Yeah. So I, I I'm really excited, man. This is uh, to me, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate uh, video game. I've I grew up and loved playing. It's it's the ultimate game to play with friends, in my opinion, especially you know friends who love college football. Online dynasties are fantastic. Like it's just. It's it's such great news. It sounds like it's probably a couple of years away. I think 2022 might be the earliest. It sounds like maybe even 2023 might be a realistic timeline. So we've got time, but the good news is the game is coming back. The path is there. EA Sports has officially announced it. This is real. This is real. Crazy, but do, hey, I do love you- seeing it come back. Go ahead. I saw a, I saw a, a thing on Instagram and it said the NCAA video game died and came back to life before Michigan beat Ohio State. I did see that. <laughs> Such a dig at Jim Harbaugh. Such a dig. Such oh a dig. goodness. Oh man. Well, excited to see that. Oh, I, you know what? What? One more thing I wanted to cover in top news before I get into the last item, which was a coaching hire. Um, Eric Gilbert, I believe he was the top-ranked tight end out of last year's class, played for LSU this year, started, I believe, uh, ultimately opted out at the end of the year and transferred to Florida. Kenny, kind of your initial thoughts on that. I mean, it's a big get for Florida. I mean, it's no – this guy's probably the highest – I think he is the highest-ranked recruit ever in college football for a tight end. He's the only tight end to ever win Gatorade National Player of the Year in high school. Um, it's huge. Unfortunately, he didn't really live up to expectations too much. I mean, he showed flashes this year. He showed flashes uh, of the recruit he became. And and obviously I'm not going to hold too much against him with a, with as weird of a season as it was no spring camp, no summer camp, a a limited fall camp. And then of course, Miles Brennan got hurt, which I thought hurt his stock very much, but look, Dan Mullen, we saw what Dan Mullen's team looked like in the, um, Gosh, Gus, what what bowl was it? The Sugar Bowl? Yeah, um, Sugar Bowl. We saw what a preview of what his team could look like this season. I mean, they got smoked with a bunch of guys who were going to be starting this season for Florida. So 
adding Eric Gilbert to the fold to replace Kyle Pitts is a big, big deal, and it gives Emory Jones another weapon that he desperately needs to be successful in at Florida. So big pickup from Mullen, and hopefully Act 2 is a lot better than Act 1 for Eric Gilbert. Yeah, for sure. This one stinks to high heaven to me. I, I mean, you're sitting there starting at an SEC school, and I don't know if it wasn't a good fit or if he didn't get along with the staff, but then he just transfers to another SEC school, one that he has no ties to. I don't know. This one smells funny to me, and I don't can't quite put my finger on it. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the kid. I, I just maybe it was a bad, maybe just a bad mix. But he opts out near the end of last season, and then he transfers. So I don't know. This one. Just, I wish. I just wish my whole. Thing, I wish he would have just gone outside the SEC. Like I would just love to see a talent like him go to the ACC or the. Oh, Big I, know, I know. Or somewhere else. But well, he stays I, in the SEC. He stays like, in the SEC, which makes it just. It, I just don't think it's a very good look for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I just don't think it's a good look. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely strange. Um, you know, especially because he he said he was homesick, and then, but so then you would have thought he would either gone to Georgia or Georgia Tech because he's from Georgia, and then. Yeah. He ends up going to Florida. It's it's just yeah. We'll see. We'll see. If he made the right decision, but he's definitely going to be the guy in Florida next year with all with all the offensive talent they're losing. The spotlight's definitely going to be on him. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he. Yeah, it'll be him. He he'll, he'll he'll essentially take over Kyle's Kyle Pitt spot. I mean, yep. he'll essentially be the same player. So, uh, last piece of coaching news I, I want to talk about a little bit. The University of Washington finds their defensive coordinator after Pete Katowski got hired at Texas, longtime University of Washington defensive coordinator, uh, a guy that Jimmy Lake was very comfortable with. Uh, they coached together for eight years at UW. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski uh, regarded as one of the top defensive minds, and his record shows it. If you look at how good the University of Washington has been on defense the last eight or nine years and how they've ranked nationally, and it's a big part of that program and why they've been so competitive and being able to – get new guys in there and interesting stat here Kenny did you know and I was listening to a Jimmy Lake interview the other day uh, when he announced that Bob Gregory is going to take over so let me get the news first Bob Gregory inside linebackers coach has been there the entire time with Jimmy Lake so it's essentially just a and a, um, a promotion just a promotion for him Bob Gregory though had been calling defenses at Cal for about four or five years before he joined UW as a position coach, um, and oh, I'm sorry, bounced around after Cal and then ended up on the UW staff. So uh, a big thing for Jimmy Lake was one continuity, right? What they built there on defense has been one of the nation's top defenses statistically in all of college football the last eight years. So wanted to keep that, wanted to make sure that the kids didn't have to learn a new defense, which is totally fair. Um, I get it that I, it's not a splashy hire, but it's one that makes 100% sense. Very good recruiter, especially on the West Coast, which is important. And then the last thing that I thought was was really interesting, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Jimmy Lake has credited Bob Gregory with a lot of the talent that's been able to send to the NFL. Do you know that out of the Pac-12 schools, the last eight years, UW has sent 30, I mean 30, 30 more guys to the NFL than the second Pac-12 team. That's wild. I mean, it makes sense because I, I feel like every Sunday you send a text out about a guy, and you're like, he's a UW grad. And yeah. I feel like I, that happens very often. And, and 
you, you see these guys who, you know, they might not be stars, but you see all these random guys on the NFL rosters and I look them up and they're from Washington. So no, it doesn't surprise me, man. They, you know, they're one of the schools that have had, you know, 50% or higher uh, a roster with blue chip athletes. So it, yeah. it doesn't definitely doesn't come as a surprise that they're turning out NFL talent, which is great. Yeah. I, I know in Seattle, there was some pushback at the Bob Gregory uh, promotion instead of hiring outside. I look at this as a no brainer. Keep it inside. Keep the continuity going. Keep the yep. keep the momentum you've got going on defense uh, instead of you know trying to bring in somebody to the outside. So really like that coach and hire. And, and as a as a U Dub fan, I'm I'm pretty happy about that, um, especially with the the parting of uh, um, Keith Kwiatkowski um, leaving for Texas. So yeah, Kenny, let's have a little fun before we get into our quarterback breakdown. Why don't you take this over? And talk about a question that was uh, circulating on the verbal on the solid verbal podcast, which is one that you and I listened to. Yeah. So Ty Hildebrandt asked the question, in theory, a theoretical question: How many games could Alabama's 2021 greatest recruiting class ever win against their 2021 schedule with a full spring, summer, fall workout, and camp, all the above? You know, how many games could they win? So, Gus, I'm kind of curious, A, is as to what your thoughts on that are. Two, what you would set the line at compared to what I have. And I'll give you mine after you give yours. But just to reiterate, the class includes one quarterback, one running back, five wide receivers, five offensive linemen, six defensive linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs, and one special teams recruit. And remember, this has been billed by, 20, by 24-7 sports that – this is the greatest recruiting class of all time. So real quick, just a recap of their schedule before I get your over-under, Gless. They play Miami, Mercer, Florida, Southern Miss, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and Auburn. How many? What's your over-under if they had to play the entire season? In theory, health isn't an issue. In um what would be your over-under on how many games this recruiting class could win? My over-under would be two. I'm, I'm going to go two and a half. Oh, Southern, dude, that's mine too. Oh, so the Southern Miss one is the one that I'm that the one that I'm dicey on. Um, now, had you said Vanderbilt, I'd have been like, all right, I'm going three and a half here. But I don't think they play Vanderbilt next year from the schedule that you had. Um no doubt this 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 class is awesome, but what makes Alabama Alabama is the competition and the way they develop players. There's a lot of really great classes that come through, Kenny, that, that come through a, a lot of those top schools that never seem to pan out. I think what makes Alabama above the fold, and similar to Clemson, I'd put, probably put Clemson in there and maybe Ohio State, the competition that you face on a daily basis, you get so much better from year one to year two. That's and, and the other thing, they made a point on College Football Live yesterday. Dude, nobody from Alabama transfers. Like all these other schools, like people enter the transfer portal like like mad. Like, you know, you hear a new guy every other day. Nobody transfers from Alabama because of all of the high-end – talent you get there. I mean, when you come out of Alabama, you are going to be ready to play in the pros just well, look, because of the talent that you face. So I, I think talent off the bat, I think they beat Mercer and New Mexico State. New Mexico State would be closer than the experts think. Um, that Southern Miss one's a top. I think Southern Miss is a pretty decent G5 program. 
So I don't, I, I don't think they would beat them going on, uh, you know, on minimal development. But dang, I tell you what, they'd give those, they, they'd give Southern Miss a run for the money though. Yeah, I had two and a half as well. Gilles, that was my over under was two and a half. I had Mercer and New Mexico State as the two losers, and Southern Miss was my was my fifty fifty game. So yeah, I think you're dead on. It's it's crazy to think about, but no, you, to, to go back to your point, Gilles, about people transferring that that. That audio that leaked of Nick Saban doing a virtual pitch to a recruit, he talks about that. He's like, look, he's like, talk to any of our guys who have been drafted in the first round that only started for me for one season. He goes, they all got better playing against the best every day in practice. Like, it's, it's, it was a really kind of drop the mic moment for like Nick Saban during that recruitment pitch to, a, to whatever stupid recruit that recorded that and actually leaked it um but but he's but that's what that's what by the way Saban's talking about he's like look yeah there's guys who only start in our program for one year but guess what they get drafted in the first round because they have an awesome one year starting and all of them will tell you that they got they they faced better competition every day in practice than they would have faced anywhere else or starting anywhere else it was kind of like a like a kiss the ring moment. It was it was kind of awesome. It was legit. But yeah, I, I'm with you, Gless. I think two and a half. But hey, before we move on, because I know we want to get to these quarterback breakdowns. One more thing before we move on about signing day. Did you see, by the way, Jackson State, 84th in the country in recruiting, Gless? I did 84th see that. for an FCS school, dude. The next Wild, closest, the next closest was 128th. Crazy. What a great hire for Jackson State. I know. State. Like I said, man, we, we say it once every other couple podcasts. It's either going to be the greatest, yeah, the greatest uh, hire that we've ever seen, or it's going to be an epic disaster five years from now, and Jackson yeah. State will be on the death penalty. So, <laughs> hey, man, I let's just see where it goes. You know, I'm excited to see what they do, but man, they're going to give people at the FCS level. Uh, a lot of fits next year with all that talent. They may run the table. They, you know what? They may go in and just whoop North Dakota State. Yeah. So. It's going to be interesting. For sure. Well, Kenny, let's get into the meat of the show and probably why most of the listeners are t- tuning in. Again, we're starting this new series, probably going to last us about four, maybe five episodes, uh, but quarterback breakdown. So we're going to take a, two quarterbacks, and we're each going to break them down um, significantly and then just have a discussion uh, about them after we kind of give our analysis on the player. Again, as Prospects 101, especially with the quarterback class coming out, I feel like that this is an ideal platform to do that on um, as you know, uh, us you know, really specializing in watching these guys week in, week out, watching their film. Um, I was watching you know, the guy I'm going to cover – uh, this morning, and uh, you have some pretty significant notes. So, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do this, man. Uh, yeah. So, so let's dive right in, and I'll start with mine. So, first of all, let let me. Well, I, first of all, the first guy that I'm going to do is Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU. Now, I want to level set what I love in a quarterback coming out: one, accuracy; two, accuracy; three, accuracy; four, improvision. Right? <laughs> a guy, a guy that can improvise. Um, think of an Aaron Rodgers, think of a, a Russell Wilson, think of a Patrick Mahomes. 
those got you know the the pocket is never clean in the NFL, right? You're always going to be asked mm-hmm. to step up and, and kind of do things on the run. But I think accuracy to me, being able to throw in tight windows, um, being able to get the ball to where the receiver can make a play, especially in this day where the, the receivers are not six four, six five anymore, right? Those fifty fifty balls, I think are a little bit more difficult to throw these days. So I really like accuracy when I look at a quarterback. Um, obviously, arm strength is there, uh, and that's certainly a part of the equation. But I, I really like accuracy as being one of kind of the main measuring sticks of how I see a guy physically. That doesn't mean mentally, by the way. I think mentally, in order to be accurate, you have to understand defenses. You've got to be able to process information quick, um, which, you know, that will lead me into my evaluation of Zach Wilson. And, you know, size-wise, great size kid, 6'3", 200 pounds, great athlete, just plays the game with an overall fantastic athleticism. Um, You know, his ability to escape the pocket, evade pressure both in and out of it. It makes him a threat in the run game as well. I was watching the Coastal Carolina film this morning. Uh, A lot of times on zone read, he would pull it and go for 10 to 15 yards, run some speed option, uh, be able to go for 10 feet – uh, 15 yards. Again, it's another thing that the opponents really have to defend. Now, in this 2000 shortened uh, 2020 season, actually, let's go back to 2019, really made tr- uh, tremendous strides from that season. Um, I think some of the highlights that you'll see, you'll just kind of blink your eyes and be like, wow, this is elite NFL talent. Um, and I really like his ability to throw the ball with timing and anticipation as well. So let me go over some of his pros. Number one, he is incredibly accurate, and he throws a fantastic deep ball, Kenny. His passer rating increased the farther the ball was thrown down the field. Listen to this stat. Passes over 20-plus yards, his passer rating was 131. Unbelievable how high that was. Incredibly accurate down the field. Um, he's, you know, when I, again, I watched the Coastal Carolina film, I watched a little bit of the San Diego State film as well, uh, but really only looked at the Coastal as I wanted to see kind of the best opponent that he played. Ball was incredibly accurate, dude. He's throwing opposite hash throws, hitting the guy on the outside shoulder, allowing him to turn up. I know they lost that game. He also had a, he also had an opposite throw hitch pass where the guy took it to the house called back or they'd probably win that game. I love his accuracy and his arm strength to go with it. Three-year starter. I think this is something we don't talk about a lot. I think, you know, one thing that you're going to look at when you evaluate Mac Jones, when you, uh, when you evaluate Trey Lance, when you evaluate Kyle Trask, even though Kyle Trask kind of had a year and a half of film out there. But I like the fact that he's battle-tested for three years, right? He's been able to see all the different defenses. He's been able to learn how to process things. And let's be honest with you, his growth from 2018 all the way to 2020 is pretty fantastic, right? He's been allowed to develop, and it's okay to do that. And I think as evaluators, sometimes we look at what a great season that 2020 was for him, but we don't look at what, where he came from. And I think when you look at a player that has improved that much all the way to 2020, you evaluate that to one uh, a fantastic natural athlete. Uh, two, he is a learner, right? He studies the game and he really wants to get better. And three, I look at work ethic. And I think so that kind of check checks off another pro for me, right? That 
not only has he seen everything in a three-year starter, but he's been able to develop into the quarterback that he was today. Lastly, another really big pro for me is improvision skills. Throwing on the run, his arm strength to support it. He's really able to to, to flick the ball really with a, without much effort. Um, so he has really strong arm, but the escapability and being able to throw on the run with such a strong arm I think is a massive plus because, like I said at the beginning, the NFL level, that pocket is never clean for you. It's just not, it's just not realistic. And I think he's been able to show on film his ability to get out of the pocket, throw on the run, and make big plays. And, and I'm sorry, last thing I have here under a pro, I love that he's a natural thrower, right? I think if you just look, he's just a natural – he's got that natural flick. He's got the, the quick arm strength or the, the quick um, uh, transfer of hands. He's able to throw that quick RPO. Obviously, he has the arm strength, but he's just a natural thrower, almost looks – like a baseball player out there. It's just natural for him. And I think you really like to see that out of the quarterback position. He's not a robo quarterback, right? He's not a, not a Kellen Mond, right? It looks like something that, that, you know, made out of a lab or programmed from a computer. So those are some pros, some cons for him. BYU's offensive line dominated the competition all year. Really kind of looked like a seven-on-seven tournament out there most of the season. So it really gave him all day to throw and be able to go through his reads and make a lot of those NFL throws. Uh, highest production against G5 competition, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, and I think that's the big knock against him was, well, he didn't play against SEC competition. He didn't, you know, he didn't play against ACC competition like Trevor Lawrence or play in national championships. He didn't play Big Ten like Justin Fields or the SEC like Justin Fields did. He didn't play in the SEC like Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, right? That is going to be the biggest con and knock against him. Can he replicate the success that he showed this season at BYU against NFL caliber talent? The physical tools are, the, the tools are there, but that's going to be the big knock. And to be quite honest with you, I think that's a really tough evaluation. I don't – I don't really know how I feel about that um, because I would tend to agree. I think those tighter windows come against the better competition because they are better players. And then I give a pro comp here. I like Baker's arm and escape and creativity. I also threw in here Russell Wilson's deep ball and escapability. I think he's kind of a, a really a, a mix of those two guys, uh, but just taller. I mean, 6'3", 200 pounds, he's just a bigger guy than those two. But I, I like that mix. I like that comp there um, because, yeah, he's a runner, but he's not a dual – he's a dual threat, but he's not a runner, if that makes sense, right? He's willing to escape yeah. it, keep his eyes down the field, and make a big-time throw. So that is my evaluation of Zach Wilson. Kenny, what do you think? No, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I like the fact that he is very natural, like – Playing quarterback is what he was born to do. Like, he was put on this earth to play quarterback, and you can see it. He's not, like you said, a RoboCop quarterback. He, he's got natural athleticism. He's got natural ability to play. A lot, a lot of those throws in the Coastal game were just absolutely unreal. There were Dude, there's so just, many opposite hash, like, out routes, and he's just throwing it on a freaking dime. There was one I saw that stood out to me that was kind of my wow moment when I first – because I had watched highlights of him, but I really hadn't seen too, many, too, much, too many live games of BYU this season. The Coastal game was the first game where I really watched, like, a whole game outside of the Navy game. But the Navy game wasn't really fair. Like, that was just an absolute murder. But 
So he threw one where he's rolling to his right off his back foot, and he hits a guy in stride on like a 20-some yard, like essentially like out route almost, maybe a a skinny post. And he hits this guy, I mean darts him up. And that was the first moment where I was kind of like, whoa. This guy has a legit arm. Like he's not just an accurate quarterback. He's got a he's got elite arm strength. So yeah, I agree, Gless. I, I mean, I think he's one of the top three quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, obviously you have Trevor Lawrence, but I think him and Fields are kind of neck and neck. I personally like Fields a little better, but I don't have a problem with people who are arguing that Wilson is on the same level as Fields. I mean, he's a top five. He's a top five NFL prospect in my opinion. I think you're you're spot on there. I, I think Fields. Fields and Wilson have similar ceilings, and I think Zach Wilson looks a little bit better on film than Fields does. But the caveat to that is because Fields played against top-level competition, right? And Fields was able to make massive plays in big games, uh, big body. I, I am personally a Fields over Wilson fan, but I think it's a toss-up, right? Like if a, if somebody said to me, well, I love Wilson more than Fields – it's hard to argue that. Like, I don't really have an argument other than, look, you know, I, I think Wilson tends to make bigger big-time throws, but that's because the pocket was super clean for him most of the year, and I think fields came up in big games. But I think they have similar ceilings. I think it's really 2A, 2B for me. I, I think you could pick either guy, and you're going to be happy where you're at. Um, you know, again, the, really the only difference between the two, in my opinion – is one played against better competition than the other. And so you really have to evaluate that. I'm glad I'm not an NFL scout or an executive <laughs> because I don't know how you evaluate that. Like, I don't, I, I like, how do you take that out of the equation when you're looking at a player? And to me, I yeah. just don't know how you do that. And that's why we're not scouts and executives. So, yeah, that's fair. Kenny, why don't you get into your quarterback and, and, and who you got um, and who you want to break down? So for me, I think this was a natural starting point. I picked Jamie Newman, quarterback out of Wake Forest. He's, I would argue he's probably the quarterback I've watched the most in this draft class, obviously being a Wake Forest fan. I felt like it was a pretty natural fit for me to break him down as a prospect. Now, a little background on, on Mr. Newman is, you know, he was recruited. He was a, he was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, and he was very much viewed as a project. You know, he's – he was his size. He was six two and a half, like two hundred and fifteen pounds. He had good size. He was a good. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Athlete. He showed the ability to throw the football well and, and, and fit the ball in the tight windows coming out of high school, but he just didn't have and you're going to hear this a lot, a ton of experience. So he was a project. So he redshirted his freshman year in 2016 and then spent his redshirt freshman season in 2017 on the bench at Wake. He, you know, he saw some mop-up duty but really never was on the field. Um, I mean, he had four pass attempts. So pretty much sat the bench for two seasons developing. Then entered a, into a competition with current Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman in 2018 
going into spring and fall, which was pretty neck and neck. And now he ended up getting hurt midway through fall camp and didn't win the job. He he pulled his hamstring really bad. It was basically on a, on an IR for a couple of weeks. So Hartman won the job, but Hartman ended up getting hurt. Took over about seven games into the season, five games in the season, and absolutely just re- resurrected Wake's season. I think they won the last four or five games and, and really showed off what he could be. You know, in, in limited action, he, he threw for 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns, four interceptions. He showed his, he showed his plus athleticism. He showed good ability uh, to throw the ball, but he was still pretty raw. This was his first experience. But, you know, he, and then twenty eight or twenty nineteen was really the season where he broke out. You know, Wake had a really awesome season. They ended up going to a bowl game and playing Michigan State. Newman increased all his statistical, uh, all, all his statistics, advanced statistics, everything about him increased. He threw the ball a lot better. He was more consistent as a passer. He showed an uncanny ability to throw the deep ball. And so you were thinking, okay, his redshirt senior season twenty twenty was going to be the year. This was the year he was going to break out. There was talks about potential first rounder you know he's pretty much a second round guy he, he he grad transferred to Georgia was going to face increased competition have better talent around him all this all this stuff that was going to happen and then he opted out and arguably probably the number one guy who will be affected by his opt out the most is going to be Jamie Newman uh, this is a guy who needed the extra year, needed this film on tape, needed the the additional experience, uh, you know, because he's only started 15 games in his college career. This was a guy who really needed it, and unfortunately he didn't get it. So that's kind of where we are on Newman as a prospect. He's still super raw. He's shown glimpses that he could be a quarterback at the next level, but unfortunately it's just not enough. And and the the lack of senior season – is really is really going to cost him at this point? I think he's probably a, a at, at his ceiling is probably a fifth rounder because the rust showed last week in the Senior Bowl. It really showed. It showed all week in practice, and, and it's just unfortunate. But let's get into kind of the the micro uh, of Jamie Newman as a prospect. Pros, he's got great size. He's six two and seventh eight seven eighths, so he's basically six three, just a hair under two hundred thirty five pounds. He's uber athletic. He's a plus. He's uber athletic. He, he can maneuver well in the pocket. Like he, one of the things I noticed when watching him at Wake a lot is not only like you see a lot of guys who are who are uber athletic, who are, are very athletic, but they just don't maneuver well in the pocket. They don't have a good feel for it. Like their escapability isn't great. Yeah, like, yeah, you get them in open fields and they can they can be an issue, but you you get them in as Gless would call a dirty pocket and they just don't maneuver around very well. Jamie Newman actually does a really good job of that. One thing at Wake he was always able to do, because plus you saw a lot of the times they had that very long mesh point at Wake. That's one of the longest mesh points in college football. He does a fantastic job of, A, making that read, which is very difficult, but, two, then to pull that read or make that read. And you at that point he has a very dirty pocket because you're basically letting those defensive linemen get – three or four yards into the pocket, you know, he's, they're holding the ball three or four seconds before he's finally pulling it and making a decision to throw the football. So he does a very good job at at making good reads and handling dirty pockets. That was one of the things I always saw that he did really well. Um, Like I said, he's a natural athlete. He looks comfortable extending and running with the ball in his hands. There's a lot of athletes who don't look like 
nat- like natural runners. That's what he is. He's a natural runner. When you get him in this space, he's like a running back. He can make moves like a receiver with yards after the catch. I really like his ability to extend, to navigate dirty pockets, to be an athlete, to get the ball out in space. All that he does for me with a, it, it, with a very big check mark. Um, he's one of the best deep ball passers in college football. And it's funny you were talking about Zach Wilson being that, Gless. One of the strengths for Jamie Newman is throwing the ball 20-plus yards. In 2019, the only player who had a higher grade at throwing the ball 20-plus yards in college football was Joe Burrow. That's it. Jamie Newman excels at throwing the nine route. He loves getting vertical. He loves – he's got very good touch on deep passes. Um, and and, and – shows a natural ability to be able to time it out. Like you see a lot of guys in the NFL, they just they they happen to be a hair too short or a hair too long on deep passes. Jamie Newman, for the most part, shows an uncanny ability to, to drop it right in the bread basket on these deep throws. So that, that's something that was very fascinating to me. Uh, another pro, his mechanics are very sound. He's got more than enough arm strength. Um, he's a natural thrower. He isn't rigid as Gless would like to call like a RoboCop. He, his, he, he's, he's got the ability to improvise. He doesn't necessarily throw the ball from the same arm slot every time. It's not like he was genetically modified to be a quarterback, but I, but he does have very sound mechanics. And then one of the things I really like is his, the number of attempts at Wake Forest at targeting a tight or closing window was he was by far the number one guy in all of college football. He, he, he threw into closing windows 53% of the time with a passing grade of 85.7. That was enormously larger than anybody else. The only guy who was even closer was Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson threw into targeting or tight windows 32% of the time. He was the only guy within the same stratosphere as Jamie Newman who did it over half his throws in college football and and had a very, very elite passing grade when it came to it. So it's clear he can throw the ball in tight windows. He's got the arm strength to, to throw guys open, to throw balls where a lot of guys probably can't or wouldn't even be willing to throw the ball into. So, and he's a natural leader. Look, I, I noticed a big difference. One of the big things I noticed with quarterback play at Wake is when Jamie Newman was in there, the rest of the team was elevated. Like you could tell there was just this swagger and this demeanor that they played with. And you could tell he really commanded the team and the offense with his leadership. Now, here are some cons with Jamie. Like we talked about it a lot. Very, very limited experience. He's a project guy who doesn't have a lot of games under his belt and really could have used this senior season to to expel some doubters and to gain some some valuable experience. He's going to be a project at the next level now because he's only had 15 starts under his belt at the college level for a guy who was already a project coming into college. He struggles with intermediate and short throws. For all the touch and and the arm strength he has on these deep passes and how great of a deep passer is, his lack of touch on short and intermediate passes is very evident. This is a guy who relies way too much on his arm strength when trying to make these throws. And again, we talked about the percentage of targeting in the tight windows and closing windows and how good he is at doing it. But that's the other problem. I would love to see a statistic on how good he does when he's just throwing into normal windows to intermediate and short passes because he struggles with it. He just winds up and throws a 95-mile-an-hour fastball when maybe a 70-mile-an-hour fastball is all that is needed. So he, he 
and he really didn't show a lot of growth in that. Like, that was his knock during his height at Wake Forest, and it was something he struggled with in the Senior Bowl and at practice this week. Um, he does a great job improvising, but he rarely finds the receiver when the play breaks down. He either just tucks it or he takes a big sack. He needs to learn how to create and then find his target while he's creating. And then another con for me, he needs to learn how to move defenders with his eyes to create opportunities throughout his progression. One of the things he seems to do is he just locks on, and, and he never really is able to move guys with his eyes to create opportunities maybe backside as he goes through his progressions. Um, so th- those were some of the cons. Like I said, to me, he's he has a ceiling of a fifth-round pick. He has all the physical tools in the world to be a franchise quarterback, but he doesn't have the experience, he doesn't have the coaching, and he doesn't have the progression right now to really warrant anything higher than a fifth-round project type of pick. Uh, my pro comparison is a mix. I think he's a Jeff Driscoll, Dante Culpepper-like kind of mashup. He's got the physical tools and the ability of a Dante Culpepper, but he, and he's got the athleticism of a Jeff, Dris, Jeff Driscoll. He's an elite athlete, but he just hasn't quite put it all together yet. So to me, if you're asking me to compare him to to guys who played in the NFL, it's Jeff Driscoll, Dante Culpepper. Wow. I, no, I do like that. I, I, I like that mix right there. I think that makes a lot of sense. Dante Culpepper, I think, obviously he doesn't have the – he has a little bit of a different body frame, but the way – with the way that he goes about kind of getting around the pocket and kind of running in the midfield, I, I, I see what you mean. I think that those are really good uh, pro comparisons there. And I think you touched on it big, Kenny, is this guy is going to be the toughest to figure out where the heck he's going to go in the draft, right? Like I have – at this point, I don't even know. I mean, you could see teams reach uh, into a third or fourth round. You could also see him going six or seven based on what he showed at the Senior Bowl. So – Certainly one of the most interesting guys. Always have loved his size. I love his arm, but you could certainly at the Senior Bowl see the rust that was going on. I think that's going to be in the mind for scouts for a lot of players, but I think for Jamie Newman that certainly rings true. But I do love his ability to hit the ball down the field. Great arm strength, great athlete, similar to Zach Wilson in that that, uh, sense as far as getting balls into tight windows. So Certainly a guy to take a look at. I Certainly a guy that lost a lot of stock by not opting in at Georgia and opting out. So we'll see, man. He's one of the best mysteries of this draft, which will be really exciting in April to see where he goes. Um, so those are the first two guys that we'll cover. We'll probably announce later this week uh, on our social media channels uh, who we'll be covering next week, but should be interesting. But those are the first two guys, Zach Wilson and Jamie Newman. Now, also next week, I think next week, Kenny, we want to do your first mock draft, correct? Yes, yes, yeah. I'll be releasing my mock draft 1.0 next week. Kenny Keller's 1.0 mock draft will be coming out next week. Now, with that, Kenny, why don't you give us a little bit of a teaser on what we can expect from your mock draft? Uh, you can expect that no receiver will be in the top five, uh, nor do I think a receiver should be drafted in the top five in this draft. Uh, I think you, uh, another spicy take is you're going to see Jamar Chase probably picked lower than what you would expect. Uh, you're going to see Kyle Pitts get taken by a, a team that most people probably say doesn't need more offensive firepower, but I think this is the perfect fit for him. Uh, and I think you're going to see offensive linemen rule the first round, but it's not the offensive linemen you're thinking of. It's not 
upperclassmen. It's not seniors. It's a lot of underclassmen. And then I think this is, to me, I think my evaluation, you talked about how special this quarterback class could be. This is a class that, uh, it's a quarterback class. I think it's the best class we've seen since 1999 or, or really 1983. Wow. You know, it's, it's going to be a draft where these five quarterbacks are going to go very high and it could be probably one of the best draft classes we've ever seen in the history of quarterback draft classes. Wow. Wow. Well, that's uh, certainly, certainly a large take there. And uh, look, I, 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 it's really hard for me to disagree with you on that last point, but those are some nice little nuggets to expect from Kenny's mock draft. Uh, The week after I'll be doing mine, um, but I'm actually going to save my mock draft teasers for next week, Kenny. Uh, to keep people on the hook like it. so they can come out like and, uh, and and expect mine. I, I have kind of similar stuff. A couple things about edge rushers in the secondary, um, especially you look a lot of mock drafts, you see a lot of guys going, maybe some guys that won't go, maybe see a lack of a certain position. So I'll cover that next week all on mine. But, Kenny, we, we got to wrap up here. So as always, you can subscribe to Prospects 101 on your favorites. Uh, podcast platform. Just make sure you hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our shows, especially next week with Kenny's Mock Draft 1.0, as well as we'll cover two more quarterbacks. And you can always follow Prospects 101 on social media at Prospects 101 Pod. For Kenny, I'm Gless. We'll be back next week, talk Mock Draft, and break down two more quarterbacks.